Rambling with Resolve Era. And in today's episode, we have a very special guest. As you all know, our listeners and viewers, this is our second season, and this is our second episode. And today with us, we have Lisa Heller. She's a very close friend. She's an awesome professional. She's a great mom. And today we are going to talk about her journey. We all know that this season primarily focuses on autism. It focuses on services, navigating resources, how parents have you know, talked about their journey. And I believe that this episode would be as interesting as Resolvera has presented the previous episodes. So without further getting into a lot of introductions about Lisa, because if I start, I'm gonna use the whole episode to do that. I would turn the mic to Lisa. Thank you so much, Lisa, for joining us today. And um, I would like you to tell our viewers and listeners about you. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored to join your, you and your viewers. A little about me, um, I'm a registered nurse for over 20 years, um, working mostly in the community and community health field. Um, and I'm the parent of a 13-year-old autistic child and have uh, navigated through those waters so far uh, since about 15 months when I noticed uh, developmental delay. So I'm honored to know you, Dr. Vera, and to be your colleague at work and uh, to share our story a little bit. Thank you so much. And Lisa, I know you do a lot of community work, right? You, um, I know you are very much involved and even at work, like how I see you, that you know, you're very much into the community needs. How did you really get involved in this? Like, I understand because of your profession in the healthcare, you were, but then there, I also see like this an extra drive and that encourages everybody around you. How did you get so much involved? I have been very blessed to have the professional background that I have in navigating um, uncharted, what was uncharted waters for me uh, with a child um, that was diagnosed with autism right before their second birthday. So, um, as the years have evolved, um, uh, those that knowledge that I have uh, navigating um, services and and IEPs uh, for my child, I felt it very important to share with other people. Um, because of my care management and case management background, it has been incredibly helpful in um, being able to ensure that my child gets what they need. And those needs change every day, every month, every year. So it's a constant um, advocacy that we go through as uh, my child develops and as they get older that their needs change and um, 
So I felt it's very important, um, given the platform and the privilege that I have, uh, to share the information that I have learned. Um, we happen to live in New York City, and we are very fortunate in New York City to have a lot of um, available resources and um, and part of the reason I am sitting here with you today is to help inform people in New York City and way beyond New York City, because I know your viewership and listenership goes way beyond my little world um, <laughs> to uh, give you some thoughts and and what has worked for us and what hasn't worked for us. So I, like I said, I'm incredibly privileged. My child is incredibly privileged and it's really um, necessary for us to share that privilege. So I, in the beginning, as we were starting this conversation, Lisa, you talked about uncharted waters and things that were like you came to know. Can you expand a little more about the, the problems that came, or I would say the difficulties in navigating the system, because obviously, you know, when you come across a diagnosis, you start thinking, you start processing it, and you start like really looking around for resources. Working with the community, sometimes it becomes very difficult um, to understand because it's so complicated. The healthcare system is so complicated. And then suddenly life becomes complicated. And within those complications, you're trying to figure out a way which is suitable for your child, which suits the child better because we start thinking about long-term goals, not just short-term. So let's, let's discuss about how, what are the challenges in navigating the system and how did it work for you? How did you do it? I think the most important thing I've had is not my educational background, my my licensure as a nurse. I think the most important thing was trusting my instincts as a mother. Um, I've intuitively known what my child has needed from day one. Um, when we came to a diagnosis, uh, an evaluation and diagnosis. Um, what I noticed was it was a very subtle change in my child. So my, my child had very, very early speech and um, just random words here and there, like eight months, nine months. Uh, mom, dad, simple words, cat, dog, um, and that speech was growing and at a, and great eye talk, contact. At 12, around 12, 13 months, I noticed a change. There was less eye contact and speech seemed to disappear. And to me, that was a red flag. But when I went to my pediatrician, you know, uh, the feedback I got was sort of, you know, it's normal for kids this age not to speak. Uh, a lot of kids don't acquire speech till two years old. And I said, but it's not 
what was happening for my child. It wasn't the trajectory that they were on. And um, so I trusted my instincts and I said, something's changed. And I had my child evaluated at about 15 months old, not understanding that my pediatrician understood milestones, but I understood my child. And so I went ahead and I arranged for the evaluation myself. And um, what came out through that evaluation was uh, we were prescribed speech therapy and some PT and OT because there were slight physical delays. And then around 18 or 20 months, our um, speech therapist suggested that we do an evaluation for autism. And it wasn't really something that was in the forefront of my mind at the time. I thought it might be a possibility, but I wasn't focusing on it. And so at about 22 months, we went ahead and had the evaluation for autism. And it came back that they were in fact autistic. And at that time, I wasn't really sure how to process that. Um, I didn't really want to move forward with a diagnosis. I was hesitant. Um, I was fearful of labels and sort of constraining my child based on a label. Well, you can't do this because you are autistic. And I spoke to a friend of mine who was a middle, middle school child psychologist. And he said to me, and these were some of the most important words that I ever heard uh, in my life. And he said to me, Lisa, when children get to middle school, children who have had intervention at a very young age ha do infinitely better than children that have not had interventions. She said, he said to me, call it whatever they want. It doesn't really matter what they call it. But if you call it autism, you get more services in within the um, confines of New York City. Um, I can't really speak to how um, services are outside of New York City, but I've heard um, very, very different things from around the country and around the world. So, yeah, um, and so, you know, having that knowledge, it just sort of clicked when my friend said that, move forward full steam ahead and see what happens. So that's how we came to sort of, or I came to sort of reconcile my own fears and biases about autism at the time. I've since come a long way in our evolution. My child is now 13. That started our journey of um, therapy and special education uh, in, you know, uh, at around two years old, a little, a little, we started therapy before, but uh, intensive therapy at two. So, I mean, like, I'm in short of words. I don't know how to thank you for actually sharing this, like literally you shared your timeline with the red flags coming up and going to the pediatrician, finding out, 
you know, agree to disagree and then self-conflict. And I feel like this is not just like a story of one community, but this happens among all community members who come across a similar situation like yours. There is hesitation, there is denial, there is anger, there is fear, there is, and, and in addition to that, which you never faced was like this language barrier. Sometimes it's so difficult for diverse community members to understand what's in front of them because of the language. And also culture plays such a huge role in perceiving a diagnosis or understanding the red flags or even thinking that it is a red flag actually. So I, I, I would really like you to help our viewers and listeners understand like you've been in the community and I'm sure you have while navigating your system the, the healthcare system, you have seen people in similar situations like yours, like, you know, in, in meeting or in waiting rooms or things like that. Can you throw a little bit of light on that? Yes, for what sure. What did you see? I just want to go back for one second. So describing all of those emotions and thoughts that go into being evaluated and having a diagnosis, there's, there's two things that I, I want to sort of emphasize. One is trust, going back to trusting your instinct as a parent. Um, when you think something's not right, something's not right. Or when you think something's different, even though I never had a child before, I knew that once my child started speaking and then stopped speaking, there was something wrong. And the lack of eye contact when I had great eye contact before. So I trusted myself. And I didn't necessarily listen to my pediatrician. The second really important part of this, and I think this plays a role for a lot of people, is shame. I think people are ashamed or fearful how their child will be perceived or they will be perceived by others and in the community. And um, and this notion of if, if we call it autism, then there is something intrinsically wrong with my child or intri intrinsically wrong with me as a parent or or I, I've done something to cause this. And I think that's a really important point to, to emphasize is that there's nothing anybody has done. Um, the only thing I can do as a parent is support my child through their journey. And I and so getting back to your question is what I've seen with other people and what I've seen with myself really um, crystallizes the struggle. From my perspective, I can certainly not pretend to know what it's like for other people, but I've seen the difference in what my child was awarded and the awarded, I use the word awarded because that's sort of what they call it, um, what my child received in terms of interventions and what another child might receive who, who tests exactly the same as my child. So in waiting rooms, in schools, in talking to other parents and learning about other people's journey, 
uh, I see that my ability to advocate in the language that I am, I was born knowing and grew up with and within a system that I grew up in, um, like I, I mentioned my incredible privilege, but I know other parents who their first language is, is not English or they don't speak English at all. Um, have a much more difficult time getting the services they need and advocating for their child because I am able to articulate exactly what it is that's happening and and have strong adv advocacy without um, fear and shame. And I think um comparing my experience to somebody who is a person of color um it's glaring to see where at the same age two children who present exactly the same way or very similar because no two children are exactly alike get different services and even within the similar children in different states in the US um, and certainly in different countries. I can compare my journey very closely with my sister's journey who has a child who also has autism who is only two weeks younger than my child. And my, my sister was living in a, a different state at the same time we were going through our journeys together. And um, the type of services and the type of support my sister got in another state was completely different from the support that I received in New York City. Now, my sister is also not uh, a registered nurse or a healthcare professional, um, but is very, very much able to advocate for her, her child but was not able to get what she needed for her child in a different state. She literally moved her family to New York because of the lack of services in another state and the lack of support. Um, so as we've gone on with our journey, it, it, it becomes more and more abundantly clear that whatever bias is in the educational system the, the biases that exist right. in the healthcare system right. and in the educational system has benefited us. Unfortunate, it's unfortunate for other people, and I share my story to fight those biases and to upend those biases and call them out for what they are and to help other families obtain the kind of outcomes that we have so far in being able to learning and being able to support our children. Right, right. And I absolutely agree with you because your, you, your family is like this unique example of belonging to the same family, the same clan, similar situation, two sisters, just the biases in the system had such different outcomes and impacts on each of you right and this is like a unique example because you know this shows that how how certain services are available 
to people in certain places and how these other environmental issues like language, location, demographics, other you know, involvement of demographics really affect in building up an individual, getting a diagnosis, getting services, development of skills, and ultimately individual um, independent living skills. So this is something that really needs to be under the microscope and seen like really in depth to help people get better services and have better resources aligned for people who are in need, right? Yeah, I, I, the, the system needs to be upended. Uh, what's happening now is, is doesn't work for most people. Um, mm -hmm. And even, like I said, on a daily basis, we are modifying this plan, we are changing this plan, we are giving different supports based on what my particular child needs on any given day. Um, and we are in so, so fortunate that all throughout my child's educational experience, um, we have been supported by our schools and and i understand that that is not the situation most of the time talking about change and challenges we have been going through such huge change recently i mean things stopped things got blocked delayed um i mean like it was like these change chains that literally you know tied you up and they pulled you back so badly that it was completely out of control. And of course, yes. we are talking about COVID-19. Yes. Right. It's still on. It's not gone completely. We are still like having cases coming up, coming down. It's like, you know, like we are literally sailing literally free uh, in the middle of an ocean and it's just going up and down. And there are times when we feel, oh, we see the sun and sometimes we are like, it's back cloudy again. And I believe you know, you must have gone through a lot of situational changes with COVID. How do you think parents, um, you know, can we advocate during this time when there is so much of uncertainty and what advice as a parent do you give to the other parents regardless of what community they represent, but then you are a parent at the end of the day? And everybody's mm -hmm. in similar uncertain situations. What would you say to that? Oh boy. Um, so COVID has hit my child particularly hard. My child is an only child, and uh, I was fortunate enough to work from home during this time when the schools were shut down, and. Um, Although autism does impact my child in social ways, that routine of going to school and the supports in school and being around other children, um, we've come to learn as a vital part of my child's mental health. So um, some of what we experienced was uh, very, very severe clinical depression and anxiety. My child didn't see another child 
and mostly not any other people for about seven months. Very, very, our circle was very, very small. Um, and my child became clinically depressed and uh, anxious. So these kinds of diagnoses often occur with autism without the trauma of a pandemic. Um, and again, how we navigated that with the healthcare system and with the school is constant advocacy and communication. Um, I don't think a day went by where I was not communicating with the school, um, still very frequently. Um, the, cha the changes my child needed on a daily basis were implemented, we were supported, uh, we came up with a plan. And I, also with physicians and a therapist, and psychiatrists, all virtual at the time, uh, helped us navigate it. We needed a village. We, we reached out to our village because there is no way I could have gotten through this alone. My child is now stabilized, however, um, has entered adolescence. And so how stable is adolescence for anyone? I don't, I don't really know, but um, it's, it's a challenge every single day. Um, adolescence alone, uh, and then adding our other, other challenges. We have to be able to move and be flexible uh, depending on the needs of the day. Wow. So like, I see that you have like really stood up as a parent advocate and you have like not left any page unturned, every stone picked and navigated and put back. How do you, how do you feel as a person, like as a parent, like everything combined together, you're this one person. And if I ask you, Lisa, look back, look back and tell us, what do you see? your journey as a parent and the parents are looking at you and asking you like what would you what would you leave us with an advice what would you say to us we are falling short in you know advocacy skills we are falling short in language i i request you to look back to your journey and just summarize like how how what would you say to a mom who's talking to you and says lisa i don't know what to do it would be different depending on the age of the child, which I didn't realize up until the past couple of years. Um, <laughs> but the first thing is to, to do is to trust yourself. The second thing is to, I, and I realize a lot of people handle uh, this differently or depending on, you know, their community and their family and their perceptions of it. But letting go of the shame of autism. Um, I think that I've come to, in my journey, really embrace the notion that autism is not something that needs to be fixed. Um, autism and neurodiversity is something that needs to be normalized. Um, 
having that neurodiverse people in our world teaches us a lot of things that I don't necessarily know. So I learned so much from my child. I learned so much from neurodiverse people. I think that instead of making our children fit into a world that is quote unquote typical, mm. our world needs to adapt to people that don't fit inside that normal box. Um, I don't have to fix my child. My child is perfect. Nobody's perfect, but my child is uniquely made as are all children. So the world needs to adapt to their needs, not my needs don't need to, f to be fed by this child. I don't need my child to fulfill a dream for me. My child is who my child is. I love my child for who they are. My child brings incredibly unique perspective to the world, is incredibly talented, bright, and creative. So the world needs to adapt. I don't need to change. My child doesn't need to change. I need to grow with my child and take my child's lead. My advice is don't ever hold back. Don't ever be worried about what other people think. Don't worry you're bothering the physician too much. Don't worry you're bothering the doctor. Don't worry that you don't deserve all of this. You put into place what your child needs. You know your child is hungry, you feed your child. You know your child needs to be changed, you change your child. You know your child needs to be educated, you educate your child. But understand in those, all the different arenas that our child goes into, you need to help pave the way because clearly we're not there yet. We're not there in terms of, breaking down the boundaries of implicit bias and we're not there in breaking down the boundaries of visualizing and knowing and making room for people who are neurodiverse in every single setting oh my god lisa like i i would definitely repeat my words that i said in the beginning of this episode that you are a great mom and the words that you just shared they are so golden like really i you know like to me you are the person who would just go in and say no get this done because this is what's needed to you the quote unquote really doesn't matter you will take off those quotes take that word off and say it's an open word. Yeah, and I think another really important point that I've come to learn in my journey is this. Treating autism as a disorder or a disease does people an incredible disservice. I have brown hair. I have brown eyes. My child is autism, has autism. It's, it's a trait you're born with. People shouldn't be treated differently because mm -hmm. of their color of their eyes, the color of their hair, their color of their skin, their, whether they're quote unquote neurotypical, which is not a great word, or neurodiverse. Um, 
disabilities, the world needs to adapt to people with disabilities. Stop hiding people away in their homes. Um, open up the world the way they need to see it, the way they need to experience it and support and encourage your, your child, your family member, your community in those efforts. I don't believe in the puzzle piece anymore. I used to. Autism is not a puzzle and it's not a, even a spectrum. It's every autistic person experiences autism differently. There are a lot of similarities in a lot of people, but every person is different, just like every neurotypical person is different. My child is not the same as any other child and vice versa. Yep, absolutely. And, and these are absolutely correct words in saying that, you know, my child experiences, um, you know, autism differently than any other child. It's like experiencing life. We all have the uniqueness of life that we experience, you know, like regardless of the political boundaries, the geographical boundaries, regardless of where we are born, financial condition, anything, our lives are our uniqueness. And so should autism be because that's how the person is. And you're absolutely right. Like shame, guilt, blame doesn't really play a role in this situation. Not at all. Awesome. Awesome. I'm so happy, Lisa, to have you as a speaker. Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to stop you. It, it, sure. If, the, if that's the one takeaway that I can share with people is that really uh, there is no place for shame or blame. We have to work to remove those concepts that keep us from being the best people we can be for ourselves and for our child. And, and one last thing I do wanna mention that um, it seems that um, the mental health crisis over the past two years that people are, it's still evolving and, and people are attempting to begin to some, some sort of recovery. Um, the shame and blame of mental health uh, also is part of this stigma that needs to be removed from our vernacular we, and from our consciousness because mental health is health and if I have a cold and I need it to be treated, it is, is no different from experiencing anxiety, depression, or any other um, mental health diagnosis. Absolutely. And thank you for saying that, Lisa, because, you know, it's interesting. Um, and also like an extra information. Um, 10 years back, I, I graduated as a PhD scholar um, in May 2012. And my research focused on the journeys of parents, adolescent to adulthood, and what parents face. And, you know, like when I was a student and I was studying, I thought, oh, you know, 10 years down the line, things will change. Today, I stand here a couple of months away from May 2022. A decade has passed since I worked on this and I see very little change. And it is a learning lesson for me also, because 
a decade is not enough. You know, it, it takes, as you said, it takes a village to bring in the resources, to change the mindset, the community, the social roles. And as I evolved as a professional, I realized that all these things need to be changed. And I'm so glad and I'm so grateful to you, Lisa, that in this effort, when I started rambling with Resolvera, that you know, this is how I can reach out to the larger community, your encouragement and today your participation in this is so helpful and so great because especially in this season, we are talking to parents and we are talking to people who work very closely, who focus on issues of mental health, how you, know, you have the willingness, how you use the faith to keep that drive on. And by faith, I don't mean religion, but the faith in yourself as a person, what drives you, your driving force, your willpower. And I feel that this is so important for people to hear and listen and understand that what we require is an open world. We don't need to close doors, neither to others nor to ourselves. You know, it has to be an open door, an open mind, without judgment, without assumptions. It's a very difficult journey and the journey changes every day. A lot of my more recent journey and very, re very relevant influence, and I'd be sorely remiss if I didn't mention this. There's a group that a special education teacher friend of mine introduced me to a Facebook group. Mm -hmm. It's called Autism Inclusivity. And the moderators are adult people with autism. Wow. And so it's also very presumptuous of me being neurotypical to say that I know what my child will need or how a person with autism perceives the world. This is an international group. And I highly encourage anybody who has who is touched by autism or uh, a neurodiverse person in their life to join this group and read and learn and give the platform to people instead of making assumptions about what it takes to be able to live life through I am just, a new- Sorry, I'm just reaching door. out for my pen because I okay. want to write it down. In order for people to live life through a neurodiverse lens, we have to give people that experience neurodiversity a platform. And this is an incredible platform. I've learned more from this group that I've joined than any other source, scholarly or otherwise, of information regarding um, neurodiversity. So um, I always go with my instinct and, and now this platform of people living a, a neurodiverse life is open to everyone in the world. So it's, it's on Facebook, it's a Facebook group called, called Autism Inclusivity. And they're 
their sole purpose is to educate people. And they have, they're giving their time and their energy, and it takes an incredible amount of energy to teach people and teach people and teach people all over the world to, to embrace neurodiversity as just the same as a neurotypical person who perceives the world differently or feels the world differently. Beautiful, beautiful. And thank you, Lisa, for sharing this resource, because this is going to be like so important for so many people. And because it is open and it's international. So, you know, like literally it has no boundaries. It's open. It's open. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful group run by an amazing group of people. Um, and I've just been changed by it. It changes the way I think about it, changes the way I parent. Um, it teaches me that maybe some of the best choices I have made over the years may not ultimately be the best choice, but, but it gives me pause to open my mind to a different way of thinking. And thank you so much, Lisa, for this time. I know you are such a valuable resource for everybody. And you are this, this, you know, this healing touch for so many people that you touch, that you talk to. And through this episode, I am sure you will reach out to so many people and you must have touched so many lives. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't have enough thank yous for you. <laughs> Um, I don't have enough thank yous for you. Thank you for all of your incredibly valuable and relevant work. Thank you for it, um, the honor of including me in this conversation. And I look forward to more conversation and feedback. And I'm certainly open to discussing this further with any parent or any person that needs uh, encouragement and um, uh, an ear to listen. Absolutely. And as, as you rightly said, that this is not the first time, Lisa, and the last time that I'm going to have you. Definitely, I'll have you as my speaker again. You better have your calendars. <laughs> <laughs> I know you are a very busy person, but having you on this show on this talk is like wow you know like i'm going through so many overwhelming feelings inside i'm emotional i'm empowered i'm feeling that energy you know like sunday morning energy seems like yes it's back in a different way <laughs> yeah i'm honored i'm really honored vera and and to share this time with you and and looking forward to hearing what other people's thoughts about, you know, the perspective Absolutely. that I'm presenting. Um, it's not um, the generally accepted point of view, but I'm hoping to break down some barriers and open up some doors for some people. Yes, absolutely. You know, like um, it takes one step to go miles, but you have to start with that one step. It takes one leader to start a movement but it takes that one leader and mm -hmm. you are definitely one of those leaders you are definitely one of your steps are definitely one of those initial pioneering steps 
And this is very important. Thank you, Dr. Vera. It's been an honor. <laughs> it's been an honor too. Thank you, Lisa. Until next time. Until next time.